You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. Hey, everyone. Today's episode walks you through version 6.2 of Joe Massey's rental analysis spreadsheet. This is part of the Deal Blitz podcast series I'll be doing. And so part of the series here is recording three tutorial videos using Joe's spreadsheet. So record those. So there's very clear, concise YouTube tutorial videos. But I also wanted to post the audio to the podcast channel as well, because we do talk a lot of assumptions on there. So I thought many of you guys could benefit from hearing what Joe and I discussed. If you need the play-by-play, go to denverinvestmentrealestate.com slash spreadsheet. All three videos will be on there. And if you don't have the latest version of the spreadsheet, download on the website. Or if you have problems, definitely shoot me an email at chris at denverinvestmentrealestate.com. I'm more than happy to email it out to you. All right, here's the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the second tutorial on using uh, version 6.2 of Joe Massey's investment property analysis spreadsheet. So in the previous episode, we analyzed a rental property. Now on this one, we're going to analyze a property through a house hacker or no matter. That's where people buy a property as an owner occupant, live in there for at least one year and then move out and convert the property into a rental property. So Joe, you got the mouse, you got the keyboard. Where do we start? All right. So what we're going to do, when you open up this spreadsheet, if it's the first time you've downloaded it from the website, you're probably going to get a yellow error up here at the top. You don't see it right now, but it'll say click enable content. All right. Or it'll say, hey, there's macros. Is this okay? You're going to click a little button that says enable content. That's going to allow you to work with the spreadsheet. So this is coming to you from uh, myself, Joe Massey, Castle Cook Mortgage, Chris Lopez, your Castle Real Estate, and then one of our partners, James Orr at Real Estate Financial Planner, LLC. He's the one that put together the ROIQ quadrant and is a really critical piece that we've been using to uh, analyze properties lately. So once you click enable content, you're going to work your way down the sheet and just fill out each of the yellow fields. So the sheet is locked, so you can't change the formulas. You can't change um, things that would give you bad results. You can only change the areas highlighted in yellow. So we're going to go through a real transaction here. Um, So let's start. This is a transaction that closed a couple months ago. Um, What uh, part of town was this? And was this a single family or what was it? Uh, Single family in Aurora. All right. So Aurora, single family residence. And uh, this was a single unit property. So you can select two unit, three unit, four unit. That's going to impact how much money you need to put down some of the other calculations. But in this case, it's a one unit property. And this is a primary residence, I believe, right? They're planning to live in the property? Yep. Okay. And how much did they put down? It was 5%. 5%. All right. 5%. If you highlight over this little yellow icon, um, this is going to talk about your investment down payments, 15% minimum for single family, 25% minimum on a multi-unit. If you're living in the property, um, then it is just a minimum of 5% down to do a conventional loan. Now, mortgage insurance, there's options that you could do monthly paid or upfront. And this particular client did monthly paid uh, mortgage insurance, I believe. Is that right? That's correct. All right. And something to note, when you actually choose up on those earlier fields, primary residence or investment property, Uh um, and then you actually change the down payment percentage, once you go below 20%, that's when you know mortgage insurance, and that's when that field for choosing your mortgage insurance actually pops up. That's right. So if you're putting down greater than 20%, you don't have to worry about mortgage insurance. It's only if you're going to be doing less money down. Okay. So we're doing a primary residence again here. There we go. All right. So we did monthly mortgage insurance, I do believe. Correct. 
All right. What was the purchase price on this home? Uh, 375. 375. Now, acquisition costs. When you highlight this little icon over here, this is going to be everything associated with buying the property, property insurance, inspection, appraisal, transfer taxes, title insurance, recording fees, closing fees to the title company. If you decide to pay points, if you decide to pay for a home warranty, if you decide to, uh, I don't know, finance in, what else might you include? Uh, sewer scope. If you decide uh, to- Radon test. Radon yeah. test. Just yeah. all the stuff that's involved with you know real estate. It's not like buying stocks. It's a. It's not cheap to transact in. There's a lot of fees and all your due diligence costs. Just everything basically goes into here. Yep. Uh, it's kind of the catch-all. Yep. And so tra- uh, acquisition costs for this particular property, what was it? About $7,500. Okay. All right. Now, loan costs, the spreadsheet calculates that for you um, because it does know uh, that our flat cost to process and underwrite your loan is $1,540. Down payment, this is just 5% of that purchase price. Now, seller credits, um, this can be up to 3% that the seller can pay for a primary residence and up to 2% for an investment property. Did they have any seller concessions on this? They did. They got $1,000 back. All right. So the seller paid up to $1,000 of their closing costs. Now, repair costs. Did this property need any work? No, it did not. All right. So this property was in great shape, ready to go. Total initial investment, $26,790. Now, this was a primary residence. What type of interest rate did they have? 3.875. 3.875. This was a 30-year loan. Now, right now, it's a primary residence. So they're not going to be renting it out. But after they move out, they're going to be renting units out or renting this place out. How much is it going to be rented for? So this is a five bedroom and his plan is to uh, rent room by room. It might be all traveling nurses or might be just all, you know, roommates off of Facebook marketplace or a combination of it. But you see, he's expecting to do uh, all five bedrooms as estimating about $3,500 a month in rental income, which is going to be you know roughly about $700 a month per room, which right. is uh, definitely the going rate right now for rooms could be a little bit higher actually too. Yeah. So room by room rents, roughly $700 per room, total rental income, $3,500 per month. Now vacancy, this is going to be if a tenant moves out, um, one person moves out of one room, uh, two people move out or two people get married or whatever it might be. This is the part of the year that there's not going to be anybody in the property. What do you think we should use for a vacancy percentage? Well, since this is, uh, we normally use like three to 5% for long-term rentals, but yeah. since this is uh, a room by room, possibly traveling nurse rental, I would put an 8% as a vacancy. I agree. Just because, I mean, with uh, those two types of tenant classes, you just have a lot more turnover and therefore you have more vacancy. Yep. But that's why you get more rent as well. I agree. So 8% vacancy, annual rent increase. Do you think rents are going to go up over time? I do. Yeah, I agree. Over the last 40 years in Denver, rents have increased 4% per year on average for the last 40 years. So recently it's been 6%, 8%, 10%, 12% some years. I think that's uh, unreasonable and unsustainable. I like to use 3% as an annual rental increase. What do you think? I like it too. It's basically like, even though it's been outpacing inflation, um, I basically put 3% in there. Say, so, hey, cool. Let's just keep pace with inflation is my rule of thumb. Yep. Now, how about annual appreciation? In Denver, the last 40 years, average properties have gone, uh, properties have gone up an average of 6% per year, year over year. Some years, 10%, some years, 5%, some years, negative 2%. Uh, but it averages out to 6%. What do you like to put in here, Chris? So I personally like 3%. Okay. But you like five, and yep. I can definitely make the case this is, you know, a a lower price point property around the Denver metro area. It's a great long-term location. They're out by all the hospitals in Aurora. 
I mean, I can definitely make the case to easily assume a 5% annual appreciation. Five. You want to say four? Split the difference? Sure. 4%. All right. Effective tax rate. This is not simply your tax bracket, but this is your effective tax rate. Um, so take your amount that you paid in taxes. Let's say you paid $10,000 in tax and you made $50,000 in income. Your tax rate would be 20%. What do you like to use here? So I actually don't know my client's tax uh, rate. So I usually just default to 25% as my like go-to default. Yep. I think that's very solid. But for you guys out there, I mean, do your math on your taxes or talk to your CPA and then give you your effective tax rate. Yep. Absolutely. If you have a CPA, it should be on that cover page that you get every year. It says, hey, your effective tax rate was this. And that's the number you want to plug in there. Monthly operating expenses. So now we're going to get into some of the costs of owning this property. Um, he's going to be renting out room by room. Is he going to have a property manager? No. Got to I don't think there himself. are any property managers that actually rent room by room. No. So he is, and plus he's just planning to do himself because he wants to save that money. Yep, absolutely. So no property management. All right. Now monthly reserves for maintenance. Um, 5% is what the spreadsheet defaults to, but what do you think we should have in here for monthly reserves? Uh, for this, I'd use 10%. If you're doing the room by room, you're going to just have more, you know, more turnover, probably more wear and tear, just you know, more people in the houses generally. So I'd round up a little bit. I agree 100%. We're going to do 10%. All right. Is there an HOA? No. All right. So that makes it easy. If there was an HOA, you just click on yes and then fill in that monthly HOA cost. But in this case, there is not an HOA. So really good. All right. Annual real estate taxes. How much are those property taxes? Uh, 2225. That's the 2019 assessment? Correct. Okay. How about property insurance? Uh, just under $1,000. Put $1,000 in there. Okay. So you got a really good rate. That's pretty solid. All right. And next expenses are going to be utilities. And because this is rented room by room, I'm assuming the landlord is going to be paying the utilities. Is that right? Correct. Okay. So let's break that down. What do you think for water and sewer? Uh, we're budgeting at $1,500 for the year. Okay. Trash? 400 Okay. Electric? Electric and gas, we're saying 2400 for the year. Yeah. So $200, $200 a month. 200 bucks a month. That seems reasonable. You have a lot of people there. You know, they're all renting. They might be taking long showers, having the AC cranked up. Seems reasonable. What about landscaping? Um, he's going to do it himself. Do it himself? Okay. Yeah. Any other expenses? Snow removal? Anything else? Sprinklers? No, he'll be doing that himself. Uh, the other thing we have on is internet. Since it's, mm. you know, room by room, a lot of times it's common for the landlord to offer that themselves. So we're budgeting about 50 bucks a month for $600 for the year. Okay. So I'm going to break that down here. Landlord pays all utilities. Okay. Any other expenses? No. All right. Any other notes about the property? Um, no, I mean, other than that, you know, we're going to be renting room by room, potentially traveling nurses. Uh, and he's in the process of getting the house up and running. So we don't have all the, Hey, how much are you spending on doing some furnishings, all that stuff. So this is where it always becomes a little bit of a guesstimate when you're analyzing properties is end of the day, we're always taking our best guess for everything that we're doing, whether it's before we bought the property or after we bought the property. So we're putting our best guesses into here, which is based on our knowledge and some assumptions that we can plug in there. Yep, absolutely. But I think, I feel really confident with the numbers we plugged in there. I do too. I think this all works out really well. Seems very reasonable. 5% down, primary residence, Aurora, 375. Um, on a side note, there's a lot of these on the market right now. Would you agree? Uh, a lot of these? Yeah. Define a lot. Uh, 
I don't know, hundreds? <laughs> uh, not around town, yeah. Yeah, I think these properties are relatively straightforward to find. One of the challenges that we hear is there's no properties on the market, but I think there's still a lot of these available. Oh, yeah, there is. I mean, for the uh, the house hackers, no matters. I mean, these are the most inventory because, you know, overall in Denver, we're low inventory right now, but this is the majority of inventory out there. Yep. So now we're going to go over to the cash flow tab. We're going to take a look at that here and see what our results are. So our purchase price, we're putting 5% down. So that's our down payment. These are our net closing costs after the seller concessions. The property needed no repairs. It's in great shape. $26,790. Now he's got to live in the property for at least a year because this is his primary residence. Then he's going to rent it out room by room at $3,500 a month, $700 a room. That's a $42,000 per year annual rental income minus some vacancy. Then we're going to have some reserves for maintenance. Property taxes were $2,225 a year. Insurance of $1,000. Water, sewer, trash, electric, landscaping, internet, all of those expenses are accounted here for total annual expenses of $12,325. That's going to give us net operating income of $26,000. Now, prior to paying any mortgage, if we paid cash for the property, this is how much money you'd be making. However, this investor didn't pay cash. He took out a new loan. $356,000 at $3.875. That's a payment of $16.75 per month, $20,000 per year to pay on the mortgage. And because he didn't put 20% down, he does have that estimated monthly mortgage insurance of about $128 per month, $1,532 per year. Now let's talk about that for a second because that is a estimate. Yep. And everyone's mortgage insurance based off of their credit profile, based on the property, it is going to be different. That's right. So don't bother asking Joe or your lender what your mortgage insurance is until you're in a contract on a property because they can't tell you. Yep. It changes. We can estimate it. It's in here as an estimate. You go back to, um, where is it? Right here. Mortgage insurance. You can you know, download our app to come up with an estimate for yourself. But until you're under contract, we have your credit report, all your variables. It certainly could be different. And so I've seen clients, we've had some of their mortgage insurance higher or lower than this, which is exactly what it should be because you said this is pretty middle of the road, right? Yep. This yeah. is right right in the middle of the road. Some people, if you have really great credit, might be less than this. You have poor credit, might be more expensive than this. We're going to look at how much money you make. We're going to look at your past payment history. We're going to look at the property, the down payment. There's literally hundreds of variables, just like getting car insurance, right? It's not as simple as call the gecko and they're going to tell you how much it costs. You've got to go through a little bit of a questionnaire. Same thing with your mortgage insurance. All right, annual cash flow on this property, $4,680 after all expenses have been paid. So our returns, we have a 17% cash on cash. Let's think about this for a second. We put, or we're getting $4,680 in cash flow. We invested $26,790. That's a 17% return. Gotta love the power of leverage. I do. Isn't that the truth? Our cap rate, we're getting $26,000 net operating income. If we paid cash for the property, $375,000, that's a 7% cap rate. Very reasonable, good transaction. Our gross rent multiplier, $375,000 purchase price divided into $3,500 rents. That's a 107 GRM. The lower your GRM, the better generally. And so coming down to our return on investment quadrant, we're going to start over on the right-hand side where we're going to look at the dollars. Now we said this property is going to appreciate 4%. We're paying $375,000 for it times 4% is going to give us a dollar return of $15,000. Our cash flow is from our cash flow statement, $4,680. Our depreciation, 
the amount that we can depreciate the property times our effective cash flow, we're going to get a cash value of $2,898 in depreciation. And then our debt is being paid down. That's the principal reduction on the loan. We're going to add all of these up together, $28,989 return. We're going to divide each of these individual quadrants into the money that we put down. We only invested $26,000 and that's going to give us our returns over here. Our cash on cash return is the same as our cash flow. We're getting a 10% depreciation return. Our debt pay down of $6,400 is a 23% return on our $26,000 investment. And our appreciation of uh, $15,000 gives us a 56% return on our $26,000 investment. Tally all of these up. This property is returning 108% in the very first year on our $26,000 investment. Chris, is that a good deal? Yes. I mean, in my book, it's a great deal. Absolutely. Now you got to live in the property for the first year. So really this is your second year return on investment once you rent the property out. Um, But I don't know where else you're going to go, live in a property for a year, accumulate a really nice property, move out of it, start renting it out and make 100% of your money back that next year. And so Joe, why do we... Uh, put the numbers in here for after the person moves out and not calculate the numbers for while they're living there. Yeah. So that's going to go back to page number one here. All right. This is a primary residence, which means you must live in the property. So if you're living in the property, your rents are zero because it is your home. The value of living in the property is you can put less money down as little as 5%. If you're not going to live in the property and you want to put 5% down, the spreadsheet's going to tell you, no, no, you got to put 15% down. Okay, so the spreadsheet's going to catch you. Make sure you don't plug in a scenario that doesn't work. So you have to live in the property for that minimum 12 months to meet the minimum occupancy requirements of a conventional loan. Now, there are house hackers out there that go buy a place like this. And I know this one, he's you know living in one room and running out the other four bedrooms while he's living there. Mm-hmm. So he will be bringing money in here. I generally like to analyze properties for not while I'm living there, but we're buying this and doing this for the long-term rental portfolio building. So let's analyze the property as a long-term rental, see what the numbers are like. Now, if you want to go in there and figure out, hey, what numbers are like while you're living there, can you go back to the inputs tab, Joe? Yep. Here's what I do is leave all the numbers the same in there and just adjust the rent. So if he's living in one bedroom, that's going to subtract out five or no, $700 in rent for that one room. So subtract that out, leave the other numbers the same, and you can see what your numbers are like. So we went from $4,000 a year in cash flow or so to about negative 2,200 a year. So if he's spending, what's that, less than $200 a month to live somewhere, that's still a smoking deal. Pretty good deal. So that's what this negative cash flow is here. This is how much it costs this person to live in this house because he's living in that one bedroom. If he moves out, he can charge 700 bucks a month for that bedroom. If he doesn't move out and he lives there, it costs him 200 bucks a month to live in that bedroom. Pretty good deal. I don't know where else you're going to find rent for 200 bucks a month in Denver. Yeah. I mean, my parents women charge me that cheap, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably true. All right. And then he's still getting an 82% return because your appreciation doesn't change, your debt reduction doesn't change, and your depreciation doesn't change. The only thing that changes is your cash flow goes down, but this is the cost for you to live. Can you live for $2,200 a month in your house, uh, $2,200 a year in your house, Chris? No. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. All right. Not even close to it. Great way to buy properties. Great way to start accumulating your investment transactions. Um, And this return on investment quadrant from James Orr has been really helpful to help us analyze these. So big shout out and thank you to James for uh, letting us use this. And so just to uh, 
couple more points before we wrap up here is Joe and I do teach some house hacking nomading classes. Make sure you come to that. We got a bunch of content on the website as well. Plug in that for more deal analyses on here. And again, make sure when you analyze properties and you send them over to me or Joe, uh, I would always recommend you analyze the properties as a rental property, not while you're living there. Because in our eyes, it's the rental property analysis that really matters for once you move out. How do those numbers look for you uh, once you turn into a rental property? I agree. So if you need more help on the ROIQ quadrant, understanding these returns, come to one of those classes or go to the section on the website where we talk about in depth the uh, four returns on the investment quadrant. Joe, anything else we need to say before we wrap things up here? No, I think this is great. If you have questions, want to learn more, want to buy a property, want to get a new loan, definitely reach out to Chris, reach out to myself, send us an email, give us a phone call. We'd love to chat with you and get started helping you on a new transaction. Great. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, everyone. 